I'm Rick Cushman, and this episode of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul is sponsored by the 2020 Vancouver International Wine Festival. The folks at the festival invite you to come visit one of the world's most beautiful cities and have a great time at one of the world's best wine festivals. Spot on, Rick. Those descriptions, absolutely perfect. It's the largest wine festival in North America and absolutely one of my favorites. goes from February 22nd to March 1st. 57 different events, including tastings, luncheons, dinners, seminars, all sorts of stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, wait, 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 wait. Uh, folks, if you are going to go, watch, watch out. Uh, Paul is going to be one of the people doing those seminars. Yeah. You can't avoid him. However. But there is, there is some good news, Rick. Yeah, yeah, I won't be there. You won't time. be there. No, yeah. no. Yeah. You're missing out on a lot of great stuff. Um, featured region this year. La France. Fine, fine. Rub it in, rub it yep. in. I've heard those French folks make a make a decent wine now and then. They do indeed. Yeah, I've heard that. Well, lucky for people going, there's just one of us to try to avoid, and you can taste and learn about some of the world's most iconic regions from in France, and really everywhere, anywhere would be France. There's Burgundy, Bordeaux, Champagne, Provence. And you mentioned Provence. Um, the highlight of this year's festival is also rosé, and of course, Provence is a fabulous producer of rosé. Ooh, yeah, and let's not forget, uh, rosé goes well with food, and uh, Vancouver is a fine, fine food town there, Paul. Great, great restaurants, and people are Canadian, so they're absolutely nice. Even, they were they were so nice. Even they're, to you. To me. I'm telling you, they gave me like a real grown-up chair, and yeah. they let, they, they get, the bib was kind of large, I thought, but <laughs> it was, your feet, was really yeah. – Your feet were kind of swinging off the floor there a little bit, but <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, you know I, am, I am not tall. So, And by the way, the best way to book is through Stay Vancouver Hotels. Um, they have an outstanding offer, by the way. It is Book a Downtown Hotel, and there are 39 of them through Stay Vancouver Hotels and get a free ticket worth up to $115 plus to one of the four huge international festival tastings. And you book now, get your best choices while you still can. And you you want to choose one of those hell, uh, hotels that uh, has blacklisted Rick. Those are the really quality places. Yes, yeah. and there's still two or three that have not. Uh, <laughs> and i got another whole year before I, they, I'll get off their list. So too. you can find it if you Google Stay Vancouver. Yep, yep. And then if you code it so that it's Google Stay Vancouver. No, Rick. Minus no Rick. You yeah. know, there's a lot of hotels that have that. It's 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 rather <laughs> odd, not just in Vancouver. So, all right, let's recap about the festival, if we might. There's 163 wineries from 15 countries, including 42 from France. The others include New Zealand, Spain, Italy, Argentina, Washington State. Which is not a country, Rick. Washington yeah, is a state. What? That's why they call it Washington State. Whatever. It's, oh, well. Uh, the other thing is this is a fabulous event for the trade. Yeah, it is. It's actually sponsored by uh, the Liquor Control Board in British Columbia, among other people. So all the people from BC, the retailers, restaurateurs, and wine producers are all there as well. Anybody who's anybody except, of course, me. Except, of course. Actually, I think you can just say anybody who's anybody. You might. Yeah, well, and then there's Paul roaming around too. Just watch out for him. Uh, and and while you're there, though, you can also taste some outstanding Canadian wines from British Columbia's own Okanagan Valley. And, Paul, what's the other great thing this year? Well, you're not going to be there, Rick. Yeah. I mean, I think that's pretty great. Okay, besides that. Well, um, world-class food, mountains across the harbor, beautiful city, spectacular no, festival. I, I was going to say people Rick could, not being no, in attendance. No, 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 no. I'm going to say that people can sign up now for the first ever post-festival Bordeaux Wine River Cruise that you, of all people, will be hosting. It's that's April 9th, 9th to the 16th, 2020. Uh, is this year, of course. And spectacular. We actually start in the city of Bordeaux 
walking distance to the fabulous new wine museum, the Cité de Vin. And then from there, we go to the Médoc, we go to Saint-Emilion, we go to Sauternes. It's a lot of good stuff there, Rick. Yeah. A lot of really, really good stuff. Have fun, Paul. (laughs) All right. Uh, So, by the way, don't forget, tickets are still on sale for the festival. You can get them at the Vancouver Wine International Wines Festival. That's at... uh, vanwinefest.ca remember they're Canadian vanwinefest.ca or just Google Vancouver Wine Festival tickets the festival is the February 22nd to March 1 you will find it have a wonderful time yep welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul I'm Rick Cushman and I'm Paul Wagner so Paul they say in space no one can hear you scream okay yeah. I think I know why there's all that screaming, screaming going on up there. I don't think anybody's screaming in space, Rick. Oh, they are. We just can't hear them. <laughs> and you know why? You know why? Because they don't have wine. Or they didn't until now. And we're going to explain. Also today, okay, listeners good. ask about organic wines, old vines, and what countries import the most wine to the U.S. Plus, our horrible wine writing is not about wine descriptions today, but it'll still make you bang your head on the table. And as usual, <laughs> we will be making fun of wine snobs and maybe we bang their heads on the table. Actually, you know, Anthony's banging his head on the table it's, right now. Yes, he does that a lot. Around. <laughs> Sorry, Anthony. Uh, and by the way, a couple of reminders. We are here at recording and still on Capital Public Radio's podcast lineup. And that's Sacramento's NPR station. Board. Yes, it is. They should know better, don't they you? They should. Think? Well, you know, it's, yeah. It's, we, we say it over and over. They're generous, <laughs> kind people there. We're also on Napa Broadcasting. Yes. Number one community college in California. And yet they put us on the air. They do. And they let you teach there. Talking yep. about needing to know better. And and by the way, you are now available just about anywhere you can find a podcast at Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Look, and look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at Rick and Paul Wine. Go there anytime, ask us a question, or, or make fun of Paul's accent. I don't have an accent. See, see why people make fun of you? <laughs> also, don't miss the chance to join Paul and some lovely Canadians at the Vancouver International Wine Festival. It runs February 22nd to March 1. Info is at that vanwinefest.ca CA for Canada or just Google it and don't forget look for us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter all right so uh, Paul uh, just recently NASA sent a case of good Bordeaux to the International Space Station that seems like a civilized thing to do it, doesn't it it does except actually it's kind of cruel you mean they're not going to open it they can't touch the stuff oh man it's part of an experiment by two universities one in bordeaux one in luxembourg to see how zero gravity affects wine you know i see this as a great plan What's that? they go to nasa they say listen we want to send the wine up to space then we're going to taste it later it's a great way to get a free case of bordeaux yeah yeah, yeah and I, you get to drink it all cuz uh, you got to taste it to see if it if that space had to, any you have to drink them all have right have to drink them all yeah I could just that, be it's right it's a fine plan this, uh, <laughs> and the way this is going to work is the case stays in orbit for a year then it comes back down. It's even more than one case because they're going to compare it to a case of the same wine that stayed earthbound. Perfect. So now you've got two free cases of Bordeaux. Rick, we should do this. We put send you to space. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hang around. <laughs> All right. So and uh, for what it's worth, the asteroids are not, not allowed to drink. Drinking is not allowed on the space station. They, yeah, well, they you know why. They fight's a good idea. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. But you know, Paul, you know what's new? They can now bake cookies. <laughs> they, they send them a, like a zero gravity easy bake oven. And, and do they puff up really big because there's no air? Uh, you can't. <laughs> yes, I, I, I have no idea. That, that, <laughs> how do they, Rick? How do they hear the timer? Bing. 
when the cookies are done if you can't hear anything in space. All right. We are moving on. <laughs> All right. Actually, so what this brings up, speaking of storing wine, is that – see how see how you have to have just ignore Paul sometimes? This is what you do if you go to Vancouver. I'm ignore waiting for Paul. you to bring something up, right? <laughs> right. I'm bringing up the history of storing wine. Excellent. But first, we have some folks to listen to. Uh, we haven't been using our house band for a while. Nice Paul. work, guys. I, Those I, were yeah, they're great. I thought I'd let them get in some work. You know, it's they're uh, great. It's and it's it's good the way they just don't lose it. We have a couple of weeks off there, they're, right they're, there. Just hit it. I'm telling you. All right, so let's just take a quick stroll, if we might, uh, through how wine has been stored over the years. And you know, it is. It's kind of it's, we talk about this now and then when we're, we're sort of serious, which is that one of the great things about wine is that it really is a nice snapshot of basically the evolution of human culture, human civilization. Yeah, that's right. And 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 wine has always been a real important part for a lot of reasons. Yep. Um, and you know, it started way way back, way back when it was pretty much anything they could find. You know, it was animal skins, which really added a nice flavor to the wine. Yeah. <laughs> sure, they did. Yes. And and the oldest evidence we have, right, is ceramic. Jugs that have tartaric acid in the bottom, right. and that comes from grapes. So now we know. The old, were... And the oldest is more than 7,000 years old. That was found in a Georgia. A dig. Yeah. Um, that, is not, that is not Atlanta, Rick. That's Tbilisi. Oh, oh, okay. So the yeah. Falcons don't play. No, the Falcons don't right. play that. Right. No. None of that. Yeah. No. Um, but it, it, you know, and uh, pottery and that sort of thing was was the general means because that was their most waterproof, easy to put together. Sort of unit through for centuries and centuries. Romans, right. the amphora. And not just Romans, Greeks. Yeah. Everybody they, in the ancient world. Phoenicians. You got a lot of Phoenician Phoenician amphora around. Too. Yeah. And, yeah. And they started to evolve as they learned things about the wine. You know, so the, that's amphora. They have the handles because they can carry it. Yes. The tops are smaller, so there's less air. Less so surface they area. So spoil quite as quickly. Yeah. The little points, yeah, the little points. So they can stick them in the sand in yep. the bottom of the ship and but, they won't roll around? Yeah, which is, which is sort of a little cool thing. Yeah. Uh, is, that why, is that why your head is that shape, Rick? Uh, well, yeah. Sometimes uh, when I don't want to move too quickly, they just stick me <laughs> first in the, in the sand. I, well, the dirt in front of my house, really. This, this. <laughs> kind of your version of the it, garden It gnome. explains the small holes. Yeah. But, um, and um, barrels came much later, and actually the Romans sort of stumbled on them in the early – The Celts. The, yeah. The Celts but, had barrels. Yeah, which would be the the hundreds, early hundreds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The theory is maybe Julius Caesar brought them back from – yeah. So yeah. they had barrels. And, and actually that was a problem for archaeologists because amphora are ceramic. They last forever. You start and shipping – Wood st- doesn't. Wood doesn't. Yeah. So all of a sudden we lose track of kind of what happened for a while there. And and oak became the thing for a couple of reasons, and one of them was it's a wood that is pliable. You can bend it. You can bend it, especially when you heat it. Um, and it didn't have sap, which is yep. which one of the complaints about our show. <laughs> too much sap. Well, in fact, remember that ancient wine was often resonated with pine resin, True. which is sap. And if you can avoid that flavor, chances are you're going to be happier with your wine. At least for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And plus, as heavy as we know barrels to be, they're still lighter than clay. And and they bounce a little. You know, those clay amphora. Yeah. No. That's right. You, dr- you drop yeah. one. Yes, and it's you gone. Point down on a guy's foot. You, you hurt a foot. <laughs> you break the barrel. You just use a lot, yeah, a lot the, of loss but there. But barrels are more uh, right. uh, 
resilient. Yeah, and the next really major evolution sort of really didn't come until uh, the 1600s. And late 1600s. Late, and into the 1700s when they started to be able to heat glass, to use glass, make glass, heat glass, heat it well enough to put turn into bottles. And use corks and to seal corks, it up. And use corks to seal it up. And you know, then in 1800s, 1824, I happened to look this one up, the invention of Portland cement. And so and, – and what is sort of a fun piece of information. So the 1800s, this was like, OK, we can do this too where they used it for fermenters and storage. Right. Uh, went away for a really long time and now cement's like all the rage. Well, the funny thing is the Romans had cement. Did they really? They did. But it was they harder did. to travel with cement. <laughs> if you're conquering the world, which was you no, know, no, then – Their you're... architecture used cement. So, oh. But I, I believe what we're talking about here is cement that was actually a little more moldable and a little more resistant. Right. Right, right, right. But, yeah. And then in the 20th century, you got all kinds of stuff. So now it's every combination of, of pretty much everything we just talked about, including M4. People are aging wine and M4. And bag in a box. And not animal skins. That's and the one cans. thing. Well, you know what? I have been in Georgia, that country where wine was born, and they sell little bottles of wine that are covered with leather and they look like tiny little animal skins. I don't know if that's adorable or barbaric. I have been told the wine inside is not memorable. I would it probably taste. It probably still gets the animal skin <laughs> taste on it. Okay. Well, we haven't got any questions about that, but we do have some questions coming up. Uh, so thank you for listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. And you know, as you probably know, you can go to rickandpaulwine.com to ask us a question or any of our social, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, at Rick and Paul Wine. And don't forget – we are on podcasts of every style at Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. Can't ask us a question there, though. All right. Our first one comes from Jane in Riverside. Mm-hmm. Cool. And she says, some of the wineries we go to in Temecula talk about organic, and others say there's no difference in the taste. Um, she says, talk about being organic, and others say that there are no difference in the taste. So what do you guys think? Wait. We have to think? We I thought to, we just we came to... on the show and talked. <sighs> yes. This is why we're so bad, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> So organic is is how the grapes are grown, and it has to do with the materials that are used in winemaking. But does it necessarily make better quality wine? Not necessarily. And does it make better tasting wine? Not necessarily. Those are independent of whether or not the wine is organic. Yeah. And do they make worse tasting wine? Not necessarily. No, it's just it's the all, same. Yeah. They're just – and there's – there are lots of folks, especially some of the high-end wineries – from our friends in Napa, we know a lot of them are very, very religious about not just organic, but biodynamic and all these other things. Um, and they will credit the quality of the and, grapes. And to not that. just in Napa. That's true it, yeah. all over California and in a lot of other true. places in the world. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. almost the higher the, uh, the higher end winery, the, the more um, the, the, you'll get a lot of attention to it. But really, maybe the, the, the cleanest, most simple explanation is that when they're paying a lot of attention to their grapes – they're doing a good job with them, yeah. and that, that's, yeah. it helps the most. So, yeah. um, if you if you like organic, that's fine, and it's it's become a, a good marketing tool as well. Yeah, and, but and the, but actually, I think that it would be it would be incorrect to suggest there are huge differences in the finished product between organic wine and and other producers. I, th- I think you are correct to say they are, that is incorrect. See, we've been thinking. Yes. Yes. Um, and it that's is enough, not. That's enough of that. Let's go. It is also other one other point about oh, organic okay. is it is also not doesn't determine whether it's sustainable either. Right. It could be. It could not be. So another question. Right. right. Is, this another, show, is this show sustainable? Right. Not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. If we're going to get through this episode. <laughs> 
All right, our next one comes from Christian Sacramento. He says, we keep hearing how the tariffs are really hitting the wine industry. I'm, I'm just curious, what country imports the most wine to and who do we export the most wine? Who do the, who who brings it in and who sends it out? What, right. what are the biggest countries? So the largest, the country that sends the most wine to the U.S. is our old friend Italy. Yes, and and – now they will probably gain an advantage because the tariffs do not are not living on them. The tariffs are are primarily aimed at France right now, and they're number two. Yep, and they're still number two. Yep, and then and then our New Zealand, Australia. New Zealand and Australia. Uh, Australia, yeah. and then after that, Argentina, Spain, and Chile, where you just were. Yep. Yeah. Um, so and then exporting, who do we export to? It's actually a little harder to break that down because the European Union is generally clumped together. So Europe, European right. European Union would be number one, but if you broke them apart from the continent and England, Canada's number one. Right, Canada is the single biggest country. Single biggest country, yeah, exactly. Right. And, and, then, and then actually, I think the UK is next. Yeah, and then then the the mix of the continent, and then Hong Kong, which is uh, uh-huh. in, in Japan and China and Mexico. Yeah. So. Um, there, there you go. So, so, how much imported wine do you drink, Rick? Uh, as much as I can. Yeah, same yeah, as yeah. the domestic. But when I travel, which I do, I never get to another country and say, "Gosh, I wish I could drink more California wine here," because I want to drink what they make there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, that's, I, I think that's always a pretty good policy. Uh, that wherever you are, eat eat what they make or grow, and drink what they make, and yeah, and and so, there you go, and there you go. Uh, Rick's rules for travel. Rick's rules for travel is try not to be seen with Paul. Uh, (laughs) All right. Well, then it's for questions for now. We have more in just a bit. But coming up, we have some really horrible wine writing. Yes, that's what it means. Bad writing ahead, folks. Um, And we usually talk about horrible descriptions of wine, and there are plenty, and we will again. Uh, But there's – But today. But today – to just to show that there's so much horribleness of so many wine writers who, you know, never learn to write, um, we thought we'd do something a little different. And these are uh, other pieces of them trying to explain the world. Yeah, and I have one here that it's kind of painful to read, but I'm going to just grit my teeth and try. Maybe I'll read it like Sean Connery. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Invariably, wine lovers come. Okay, I just need to stop. <laughs> Anybody who starts with invariably, they might as well say indubitably, right? Indeed. That comes up later, by Yes, the way. it indeed does come up okay. later. Invariably, wine lovers compare the world's sparkling wines to champagne. Not an unreasonable consideration. No, no, no. You said it in an actual construction. He had that backwards. A not unreasonable construction. Excuse me. A not unreasonable consideration. Because if you're stuffy and dumb, that's how you write it. <laughs> since champagne has, since its creation, been a model and paradigm for what sparkling wine should taste like and is the foremost leader in its category. Model and paradigm. Yes. I and, noticed that. And foremost leader. Yes. Not just, just a leader, leader. But a foremost yeah. leader. Yeah. Indeed. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, winemakers who produce bubbly wines around the world often use the so-called méthode champenoise, by which still wine receives an addition of sugar called liqueur de triage, or dosage, that starts a secondary fermentation into alcohol and CO2, sometimes neglected or forgotten, or at least not as well known, are the sparklers of the Franciacorta region of Lombardy in northern Italy, whose capital is Milan, (laughs) 
a global hub of fashion and finance, and whose producers do use the méthode champenoise. The general term for sparkling in the French is musso, and in Italian, frizzante or spumante, though the latter usually refers to asti spumante. So if, if you're still awake out there... Wait, I have to take a breath. Yeah. So this is a okay. guy who is starting to write about the French Accorderie, and they wrote um, about a thousand words talking about champagne, but then he just kept them sideways to name things. Okay, and he's wrong about one thing here, by that's the it. way. Well, he says dosage starts a secondary fermentation. Oh, yeah, that's right. Dosage uh, is the is the sugar added after the secondary, after the secondary right, fermentation. So. Yeah. Yes. And so then he's he wrong about that. Talks about French Accorda and Lombardy, and we need to know that it's a global if, hub of fashion. If France. this is, well, fair enough, but if this is about French Accorda, I'm looking at the whole two and a half paragraphs here, and it seems like about a sentence and a half is French Accorda. Yes. And uh, really, if anybody ever got to those two. Um, yeah. They, yeah. Th- yeah. All right, so okay. the one I have is a math test after a ridiculous <laughs> assumption, and I'm going to kind of breeze through parts of this because uh, – it goes on forever. Because it goes on forever. But it starts with, ask the average American consumer to describe San Luis Obispo wine, and they will likely tell you about the Paso Robles AVA, its pioneering role in growing Rhone varieties, its first-class Cabernet Sauvignon, its east-west division, and the number of startup wineries experiment with Pinot Noir and any number of specialized grapes. No, they won't. No. Nobody knows it. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, they won't. Not, no, they no, will say pa- nobody will. You mean Paso? Yeah, right. Paso. They, oh yeah, I, I was there. They, they got great ribs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what they're going to say. Okay. Uh, but they may miss is the important work being done over the grade on the other side of the San Jose Mountains, in the southern part of the county adjacent to the Pacific Coast. Why ignore SLO Coast AVAs? It would be understandable if they made inferior wine. So I looked at the Wine Spectator's own tasting notes of nearly. Over 600 California Pinot Noirs in the aforementioned issue of the magazine, because like aye. you needed to say that. Aye, the aye, average aye. score, this is where it goes nuts. So he averages the scores, then he lists a bunch of areas, and the scores, there's, there are no particular order. So there's no way you would actually track these things. And he, then he talks about the high scores and then the low scores, and then he, and then he goes and on turn, to say – Wait. I want to point one thing out here. I want to read off these scores. 89.8, Well, that's that's really definitive, so isn't it? So it seems like if you're making wine anywhere within 100 miles of this place and you've submitted it to Wine Spectator, you're going to get right between 89 and 90 yeah, points. It kind of sounds like it, doesn't it? Okay, good. Uh, well, then he looks at the high scores, and those high scores are a lot of the regions. The highest is a 94. Others are 92, 93, 91. So here's <laughs> – then, then, he, then he makes this. So some of these areas have – this is – this is, you know, how when you sat in a math class back in high school or college or wherever, my case, second grade in my last math class, slept in the math class, sat, 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 slept. and you lost this, you lost the train, and then the teacher, and you get just like this is making no sense, sense of math panic. This is what happens here. <laughs> this is what this guy does to explain it. Some of these areas have slightly higher maximum scores than the SLO coast. There is a case for saying the wine-growing areas should be judged by their higher scores. However, if their average is no higher as a result of the high scores in wine, it applies there is no low-scoring wine offsetting them at a however mean average or possibly lower score may be an area's overall best way of judging its suitability for a grape. I, I like the fact that he says low-scoring wines offsetting them or a lower mean average or possibly lower high scores. Yes, a lower high score or a lower mean average. It's, okay. So this is... Okay. I think we need to revert uh, to the our mean. Our point being, so you wonder why sometimes these guys are writing about uh, 
uh, uh, you, you wonder why these guys crushed, aren't, aren't getting paid to write at a real yes. publication? Right. <laughs> and then there's that. That's why. All right. So I think it's time to go back to some questions. <laughs> Who would ask, why are these guys uh, not getting paid? No. This is from Stephen Loomis. Cool. And he says, what is it about wines from Europe to give many of them more earthy flavors? A really good question. Yes, and in fact, many of the wine regions of Europe, it's changing a little bit, but many of the wine regions in Europe have older facilities. And many of them have the, the most classic uh, source of those earthy flavors is Britannomyces. Yeah. And it comes from cellars that have been used a long time and it gets into the oak barrels and it's really hard to get rid of. And it used to be that people would say, oh, this is a classic character of this region. And then it turned out that somebody would come in using stainless steel and build a new facility and those wines didn't have it. So in fact, it's, it's actually it's – a, it's a remnant of traditional winemaking in those reason, regions and a, he's right. A lot of wineries have it. Yeah, and, and in many cases too, some of the regions are um, a little cooler. This is less, an issue, less a thing anymore. So there's maybe the fruit – well, but that won't uh, that won't aren't. give you the earthy character. No, no, but earth. there's less fruit too, so the earth stands out as well. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah. that's that's fundamentally it. And you yeah. know, there's a lot of lot of lovely wines that have the earthy flavor. And my I, wife I, I, I actually like quite likes it. Says I it goes too. very well with certain foods. So. Yeah. yeah. All right, and another is from Shelley in Burlingame. She says, "Do I care if a wine comes from old vines? And if I do." Do really, really old vines, like more than a century old, make a difference? So I think this is like podcasts. The older you get when you're making a podcast, the more concentrated the kernels of wisdom you give out. And yet the fewer, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's pretty much it in a nutshell, isn't it, Rick? Because as grapevines get older, the fruit tends to be – the production goes down, but it tends to get more concentrated. Right, because right. they're making smaller berries and, and you know, there's more skin. There's also lots of people that's, that argue that you know, they, the vines have been in that ground for so long. They've picked up a lot of just minerals and, and things and, and it just – the vines themselves yeah, have a, a certain kind of character. A, that's mainly a load of bull. Yeah. But, yeah, but nice one thing bull, is though. true is that older vines do have deeper roots, so they withstand times of drought better. Uh, they they can be more consistent over the years. But in the end, the winery has to look at it and say, you know, they're not producing very much. And many of these older vines slowly develop some kind of disease, reducing production even more. And so there comes a point where it's just easy to replace them with somebody who knows more about wine than you do, Rick. Uh, well, yeah, oh, wait. The, we're talking about vines, yes, right? No. No. I'm, I'm the young one, Paul, remember? <laughs> uh, OK. Well, yeah. that's it for – Another round of <laughs> bottle talk and, and debate with Rick and Paul. Our producer is Anthony Van Hook. Who Our is patient producer. Very patient today. Our associate producer is Jeremy Marin. Thank you to Capital Public Radio for the studio use and for including us on their podcast line. But look for us and ask us a question at Rick and Paul Wine or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And Rick, at Rick and Paul Wine. And, and remember, and come see me in Vancouver. Go see Paul in Vancouver, February 22nd to 21. Just Google Vancouver Wine Festival. You'll find it. Tickets are on sale now. And don't forget, book a hotel through Stay Vancouver Hotels. Same thing. Book it. Or cruise with Paul and Bordeaux, April 9th to 16th. Yeah. yeah It'll be great. Rick's staying home. Someone has to look after the podcast, Paul. <laughs> All right. So if you learned anything today, we just hope don't become an astronaut because you're going to miss your wine. Yeah, unless you really like to bake cookies. I, I love cookies. <laughs> I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines are the ones you drink with friends. Or with us. Especially us.